Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 136. The first sound of battle was a belching groan from one of the mangonels as a massive rock was launched high into the sky and crashed with a thunderous blast into the wall above the main gate. Fragments of stone and sparks and dirt exploded everywhere. But when the dust cleared, the wall still held. Then another boulder whistled into the sky, followed by a third, both striking high on the wall, shattering guard posts, sending bodies and battlements flying like debris. Then a volley of flaming arrows, whoosh! Some struck against the walls, sticking in wooden battlements, where small fires ignited. Others clattered harmlessly to the ground. Then the mangonels again, this time with the cargo of burning molten pitch, Defenders ducked, some screamed in pain, slapping at body parts. Others ran around with buckets, dousing flames. The smell of tar and sizzling flesh singed the air. I raised my arm. Now, men, what is yours is within those walls. Charge! Our men raced towards the walls in a mountainous wave of steel, spears, and ladders. Eighty yards. The closer we got, the larger the walls grew. Sixty yards. I could see the face of the defenders, ready for our charge, holding fast, waiting for us to come within range. Fifty yards. Then, all of a sudden, the cry of, Here it is! Fire! Arrows whooshed down from above. Our warriors stopped in their tracks, arrowheads ripping viciously through their chests and necks. Hands clutched the exposed tips. Our roar was replaced by a thudding terror, followed by groans and death cries. Ah! 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 I know I make that sound to make fun of the cartel when people get shot and be like, ah! But no, that's really what they said in this book, so it makes me feel good to be able to say it. I'm going to say it again. Our roar was replaced by a thudding terror, followed by groans and death cries. I stumbled over a Langadocian writhing on the ground, an arrow protruding from his knee. To my left, a man in the skins of a shepherd spun around, his eyes rolled back, holding both ends of an arrow through his jaw. Men fell to their knees, howling in pain, praying, or both. Don't stop, I heard Daniel shouting. Get behind your shield, you must make the wall. The sweeping advance, narrowed to a crawl, continued. I saw Odo and Daniel and George in the first charge. 20 yards from the wall. Above us, soldiers stood and fired. Lances were flung in reply. Some defenders clutched their chests with a yelp and fell over screaming, dropping from the walls. Dozens of ladders were thrown against the walls, the men climbing up. Defenders reached over to push them off. Bring in the cats, I shouted, as waves of boiling tar splattered down on us, followed by screams and the smell of sizzling flesh. Advancing ranks pressed into us from behind. Those in the front tried to climb the walls but were met with burning pitch and lances. They toppled back into the arms of the men behind them, spitting blood or swatting at their blistering skin. The tall cats were pushed up to the front. For a moment, they provided a refuge from the smoldering pitch, which sizzled on the moist, stretched skins. Under this protection, men with the ram backed up and battered the gate over and over. Crossbows were fired from directly above. A man next to me, not wearing a helmet, had an arrow pierced the top of his scalp. From behind, the mangonels continued, and an enormous boulder crashed into a tower. 
A cloud of smoke shot up, and when it cleared, the top of the tower was caved in, and mangled body parts fell away from it like branches. Screaming and panic reigned everywhere. Where's the mead table? Someone staggered by asking, completely befuddled. God save me, welled another, holding in his hand the other arm. In the furor, I lost touch with anyone I knew. The once shiny walls of Bore were soaked with mud, pitch, and blood. I had no idea if we were winning or in the midst of being routed. Many yards away, I spotted Odo leading a charge up a ladder. He wrestled in a tug-of-war with the lance of a defender, and then Odo won, pulling his opponent over the edge. Then another defender reared up and ran the point of his lance into the smith's leg. I screamed. Odo arched back in pain. He wrenched the lance out of the defender's grasp and frantically tried to pull the blade out of his leg. Odo! I yelled, but the roar of battle made every shout indistinguishable from the others. I watched him take two Bore soldiers by the tunics, then fall back against the wall, swarmed over by a wave of men. I tried vainly to fight my way along the wall to get to him, but the line would not yield. Arrows rained down from above with terrifying force. Men were huddling under shields, starting to cry, realizing they were trapped. Where was Odo? Those of our men who made it up the ladders were hurled backwards or run through as they tried to fight their way forward. I realized we were losing. I could see the will and the men begin to bend. Then a voice cried, Look out! A huge wave of rocks crashed down on us from above. One of the cats collapsed under the weight, pinning the men with the ram. The towers themselves are coming down, someone yelled. Get back or be crushed. But it was not the towers. Stephen's soldiers were toppling bins of heavy stone over the edge. The men began to push their own comrades back. I could not stop it. My eyes were singed by pitch. I was coughing amidst clouds of dust. I tried to spot Odo, but he had disappeared. Go back, go back, I heard panic rippling down our line. Stay, I yelled at the top of my voice, and so did Daniel. Don't quit the fight now, don't give up ground. But I realized we had lost. The rear of our line finally broke, men heading away from the walls of the dead run. Then the first ranks, suddenly exposed, fell back. A shout of joy came from the defenders. Nausea rose in my gut as the men peeled away, running for their lives. They were farmers and cobblers and woodsmen, not trained soldiers. I trailed the field and scanned for Otto, arrows whizzing by my head, but the smith was nowhere to be found. The ground was piled with bodies. I could not believe our losses. I staggered back, finally out of arrow range. A horrible moaning came from the field, wounded who would soon die. Grown men wept and muttered desperate prayers. I saw George's limping on the shoulder of Daniel, both men white as ghosts. Have you seen Odo? I asked them. They shook their heads and stumbled on. I turned back towards the castle. Men on the walls were cheering. They were shooting arrows at anything that moved. My best friend was still out there. What was once a blossoming field was now a swamp of blood. Not a single man had made it over the walls alive. Not one. Not Odo. Yeah, that just, that whole setup of how to siege or how to storm a castle just seems like you're setting yourself up for failure. Like, dude, you put the, 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 the ladder against the wall. Cool. The people at the top are going to try and push that thing over while you're climbing up the ladder. That's messed up in the first place. Because if I'm climbing that ladder, I'm already scared of heights. And if I see somebody at the top jiggling with the ladder, I'm jumping off. Like, <laughs> that's it. I get two steps up, they start jiggling with the ladder, I'm off. I'm jumping off. I'm like, y'all go. I'll be behind you. I'll never go behind them. Um... The second thing is, you put the ladder up against the wall, and they're trying to push it off, so you're completely at the will or mercy of them. You get to the top because, no, you don't. You don't even get to the top because not only are they trying to push the ladder off, which they probably do like three out of six times, 50% of the time, the ladder's toppling over. You're going for a ride. You're not going to make it back. There's no comeback from that. Um, The rest of the people are getting tar, flaming tar poured on them. Like, dude, why would I want to be on the ladder? If you tell me that my job in this war is to climb the ladder, I quit. I quit. This is not South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. This is not Operation Get Behind the Darkies. I am not going to be the first person climbing that ladder. There's no way. At all. 
they dropped rocks on these folks. Like, not rocks, stones on these folks. They thought the towers were falling. No, they had buckets of stones that they were dropping on the people with ladders, and that is so messed up. They're shooting arrows at the people coming up the ladders, and it's not like you could dodge left or right while you're coming up a ladder. It's not the biggest ladder in the world. Nope, I'm good. I'm cool. There's literally no way that the people who are trying to storm a castle should be victorious at any point in time. The castle is a fortified structure. You cannot take it down. The fact that they took that first one down was because they had a, a secret passage in Baldwin is stupid. I'm just saying. And I've read this book. And now as an adult, I'm really thinking about this book. Like, how in the heck? Nah. Nah. Y'all got... Y'all thought y'all were doing stuff with the mangonels. Y'all thought y'all were doing stuff with your own molten pitch and all that. But as soon as y'all got in the arrow range, that's all they were waiting for was for y'all to get in the arrow range. Like, yeah, you could talk trash from across the street, but as soon as you get in range of my fist, I'm going to win this war. And that's what just happened. They got molly whopped. And now his homie is gone. Chapter 137. We had lost. Alphonse hurled down his sword, unable to speak, as were so many others. Georges threw himself onto the ground, spent and drained. Father Leo did his best to comfort everyone, but his face was as desolate as any. You men must not let down your guard, Daniel yelled. Stephen may send his horsemen to finish the job tonight. His warning, however real, seemed a million miles away. Darkness was falling. Mercifully, as if his black cloak offered some reprieve. Our soldiers sat down around fires, exhausted, rubbing salve on their burns and other wounds. Some wept for their friends. Others thanked God that they were still alive. God, that sounds like war, and I don't ever want to be a part of it. I don't want my kids to ever be a part of it. I'm cool. Like, I know my whole family is armed forces. Like, whole family. Dad, uncle, grandfather, like it's a whole history of armed forces until it got to me and my brother and then it just stopped. And the reason why it stopped is because my mom, who was also armed forces and her whole family down the line was armed forces, was like, there's a war going on. And if you go over there, you may not come back. And I couldn't live with that. And I still wanted to go. After 9-11, I still wanted to go. I wanted to enlist so badly. And then my daughter was born. And that changed everything. And after that, I wasn't interested in fighting for somebody I didn't know against somebody I didn't know. It just seemed stupid. I told somebody once, I told a bunch of people once, and this is probably going to irritate people because they're like, stick to the story, stick to dribbling. But gangs, MS-13, Bloods, Crips, uh, Gangster Disciples, whatever, um, are indicated by the flags they wear, the bandanas. Uh, they take over block for block in their area, securing land. Uh, people in their neighborhoods support them and love them. They represent the set. Um, people are willing to die for the set. And if you don't support the set, you are basically scared into supporting the set. Isn't that the same thing as the army? I'm just saying. Did anyone see Odo? I looked around. I had known Odo since I was a boy. Eloise and Georges merely shook their heads. He's a wily sort, Georges finally said. If anyone can make it back, it's him. Yes, Alphonse agreed, pretending to be optimistic. He was so close in. He probably just ducked behind the walls to steal a keg of Stephen's best mead. Many died today, Daniel sighed, spreading out a map of Bore. We can't spend time on one more. The Shatley in his right, Ox nodded. Thirty of my men are dead, maybe more. I looked in the Langadosian's eyes. Your men were brave to join us, but this is not your fight. I release you from your pledge. Go, take the rest home. Ox stared back as if insulted. Who said anything about going home? He cracked a toothy smile through his beard. And Langadoc, we say a good fight doesn't even begin until some blood's on the floor. God gave us all two arms, but hell, one's just for scratching our balls anyway. Around the fire, we all started to laugh. Then the din subsided. 
Georgia shrugged. So what do we do now? I looked at the men face by face. Continue to fight, Alphonse said. Stephen massacred our town. That's why we came here, no? You've grown a lot of spunk, lad, Georgia sniffed. But tomorrow, it could be you who's left moaning out there. Keep pounding the walls, Daniel insisted. Ha, ha, that's, that's what my wife said. <laughs> By the rivers, they're not as fortified. We can hit them with our mangonels all day. Sooner or later, they'll cave. Father Leo cut in. Maybe soon, word from the king will come? It is autumn, Daniel pressed. You were in Antioch, Hugh. You've seen that a siege is not determined in one day. Stephen has scorched his own earth. They couldn't have stockpiled food and water for the entire winter. I had to ask, is anyone for meeting Stephen's terms? I looked around, awaiting their reply. There was only silence. Finally, George has picked himself up off the ground. I was raised to grind grain, not to soldier, but we've all made our choice here. We've each lost loved ones. My boy Aloe, your friends, Ox, Odo. What would any of their deaths mean if we turned it in now? Whose death are you speaking of? A voice barked in the darkness. We looked up. A huge hulking shape came forward. At first, I thought it was an apparition. Dear God, the miller shook his head. The big smith limped stiffly towards our fire. Odo's skins were torn and smeared with blood. His bushy brown beard was matted with who knew what. I met Odo's eyes, which showed the horror that he had faced. I was so exhausted, I could not even get up to give him a hug. The hell took you so long? Fucking hard to claw your way out with all those green and gold shits piled on top. He sighed with an exhausted grin. So, anything to drink? I finally got up, wrapped my arms around his shoulders in an adoring hug, and slapped his back. I felt his broad shoulders tense. His arms were covered in burns, and one leg was bloody and raw. Someone put a mug in his hand, and he drained it in a single swallow. A nod from Odo said, one more. Then he looked up at us, our incredulous smiles. It was a bad day today, huh? We stared back. Well? Odo swung his bloody leg up, the gash in his thigh causing even Ox to cringe. He took the second mug and poured it all over the wound, sucking back pain. No mind. He shrugged at our blank stares. We'll kick their asses tomorrow. Chapter 138. We pummeled Bore again and again over the next few days. Our catapults battered the walls with heavy rocks. Our sturdiest rams pounded at the gates. Charge after charge, ladders were pitched against the walls, only to be thrown aside and the men on them killed. See? It's like being the red shirt in Star Trek. Like, no. Hey, look, can we do paper, rock, scissors for this? Like, can we fight for this? Like, I will fight you. Literally fight you to avoid having to go up that ladder. The bodies of our fallen comrades piled high outside the walls. I feared we could not take the city. It was too strong, too well fortified. With each repelled charge, the hope of victory faded. Food and drinking water were growing scarce. No answer was received from the king. Our will began to crack. This was what Stephen had relied on, I realized. All it would take was one mounted strike by his knights against our depleted ranks, and we would be finished. I called our leaders to the dilapidated grain tower we used for strategy sessions. The mood inside was anxious. Many friends had been left on the field. A somber look was etched on every face, even Daniel's. I went up to the hardy Langadocian. Ox, how many men do you have left? 200, he said grimly, of what was once three. I want you to take them, then, tonight, and leave camp. And the Morseys, you, Alois, I want you to take your men, too. Ox and Alois were stunned. Give up? Let that bastard win? I did not reply. I stood in the center of the group, catching Odo and Alphonse's eyes, taking their looks of disappointment and anger. The Langadocian shook his head. We came a long way to fight, Hugh, not run. We too, Hugh, Alois protested. We've earned our place. Yes, you have, I nodded. All of you have. I turned and faced each one to convey my thanks. 
and you shall have it, I declared, my voice coming alive. You shall have the chance that each of your friends sought as they were cut down. They stared at me, lost between alarm and confusion. Oh, shit. Otto's jaw dropped. It's another of those fucking pretexts. He looked at me as if he were trying to gauge the weather inside. We have Emily to blame for this. What's the plan, Hugh? My face gave away nothing. We're going to take this city, I finally said, but not as soldiers. I have tried to fight this as a military man and as a general, but I'm really a fool. And as a fool, even the great Charlemagne would have no advantage over me. I'm not sure this is a revelation I'm pleased to trust my life to, I sent the skeptical gaze my way. But I'm all ears. Tell us about this pretext of yours. Chapter 139 Stephen was in the midst of stabbing a piece of breakfast ham, the morning light tumbling into his quarters. When his page called out, Look, your lordship to the window, quick, the rabble has fled. Just minutes before, the duke had woken in a sour mood. These rebels had proven more resistant than he imagined. In wave after wave, they came at him. He could not understand their zeal to die. Plus, two weeks ago, Anne had moved to the ladies' quarters. He had been sleeping alone. At his page's call, he hurried to the window, his empty stomach filled with glee. The boy was right. The rebel ranks had thinned, cut by more than half. Those fucking Languedocians, with their arms as thick as ox legs and their horsehair vests, had fled. All that remained was a measly little force, standing around like chickens waiting to lose their heads. And there, at the head of them, the green and red rooster himself, in full view, with the lance. This decimated rabble of woodchoppers and farmers was no more than mop-up work for his men. From behind, his aides burst in, Bertrand the Shadowlin, followed by Morgan. Look, Stephen cackled, the gutless bastards are giving up. Look at that stupid prancing cock standing about as if he still had something to command. You said when the opportunity arose that the little fool was mine, Morgan rasped. So I did, Stephen beamed a gloating grin. I did promise you that. Tell me, Bertrand, what strength do you estimate they still have? The Shatley and scanned the field. Barely 300, my liege, all on foot with limited weapons. It should be no feet to round them up with our horsemen and achieve a quick surrender. Surrender? Stephen's eyes widened. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, yes, it might be good to extend a hand and save these poor, misguided fools a bit more blood. How does that word sound to you, Morgan? Surrender. These men are soulless, my liege. We'd be doing God a service by removing their heads. So what are you waiting for? Stephen jabbed him in the chest. The little bastard's lance still makes an ache in your side, does it not? You heard the Shadowlands' advice. Let the knights ride with you. Liege, those are my men, Bertrand interrupted. They are our castle's reserve. You know, Bertrand, Stephen interrupted. That surrender thing, I've, I've never been particularly keen on it. Morgan makes a case. These men have already forfeited their souls. No reason to keep them fluttering around in this world. The Shatlian's stomach sank. The Holy Lance for my dignity. That was his choice, was it not? Stephen's eyes lit up. And now it seems I will have them both. One on Shatlian. And Morgan, one more thing. I know how you enjoy your work, but do not forget your real purpose out there. The Holy Lance, my lord. My thoughts never stray from the prize. Chapter 140. Look! A cry of alarm spread amongst the troops. Several men pointed towards the castle. The gates of Borea suddenly opened. We watched, all eyes fixed on the site, not knowing what would emerge. Then we heard the rumble of heavy hooves clattering over the lower drawbridge and saw armored men atop massive crested chargers, trotting in rows of two. Silently, we watched a deadly battle formation assemble. No one moved. I knew even the strongest among us debated whether to fight or throw down our arms. Positions, men, I called. The truth remained. I am the ever-growing enemy force massing on the ridge. Positions, I called again. Then slowly, Odo picked up his gigantic club, and Alphonse, taking a deep breath, strapped on his sword. Then Georges and Daniel, too, armed themselves. They took their places without saying much. One by one, the rest began to fall in. We gathered in a tight formation, like a Roman phalanx. 
covered by shields. I pray this final pretext will work. Alphonse took a breath. How many of them do you count? Two hundred, all armed to the teeth. Daniel shrugged. He continued to count as they steadily poured out the gate and took their place on the field. Make that three. And how m many are we? The boy asked. Never mind, Daniel sniffed, raising his weapon. What are war horses and pikes against a good hoe anyway? You gotta know I suppressed like ten jokes right there. You're all welcome. A stream of grim laughter trickled among the ranks. What is this city? Just one big fucking garrison? Otto shook his head. On the walls, green and gold defenders of Boray stood silently, gaining confidence as the ranks of their horsemen grew. Chargers blew and snorted, held back from the charge as knights adjusted their armor and weapons. When the force was finally set, a sole rider walked his horse out of the gate and took his place at the head of the formation. I expected Bertrand, the Shadowland, but it was not. On his helmet, I saw the outline of a dark Byzantine cross. My blood went still. Once again, I was facing the man who had killed my wife and baby son. Which is why you fucking double tap, people. You double tap. You stab him once, you stab him in the face. Side face. Sheesh. Odo swallowed dryly. He leaned close to me. Hugh, I know I've asked this before. Yes, I think it'll work, I told him. But if it doesn't, what's the cost? I always thought you made a better soldier than a smith. And you were a better jester than a general, he shot back. I started to laugh, but suddenly my voice was drowned out by a terrifying rumble from across the field. Here they come, Daniel cried. Shields! There was a hairy, desperate murmuring. People could be heard muttering their last prayers. I slung the holy lance through a strap across my back and took hold of a heavy sword. The ground had started to shake. Shouting and cheers erupted from the castle walls. We linked together in tight formation, our perimeter protected by a wall of shields. The drum of heavy hoods grew closer and closer, like an advancing landslide. Hold together, I yelled, forty yards, thirty. Then they were on us. Chapter 141 The wave of horsemen crashed into our formation with the impact of a hundred-foot crest swallowing up a ship. Sparks and shields and armor flew into the air. Our ranks staggered backwards from the force, shields raised over our heads. Steel came crashing down on us, but the men did not break. A knight barreled into me, chopping furiously at my shield with an enormous pike. My legs buckled under the heavy blows. All around were the sounds of groans and terror. The chilling clang of iron, shields splitting against the weight of steel, horses neighing, soldiers crying out. Fighting back, I managed to pin the face of my attacker's pike against the dressings of an adjacent mount. Then I lashed upward with my sword, praying it would strike something. It pierced the armor just above his knee plate. The knight howled, and his mount bucked. I was able to drag him from the saddle and throw him under the hooves of his own horse. Our ranks were already two-thirds encircled. Men groaned and dropped in place. The ranks thinned. We could not withstand much more of this onslaught. Back, I shouted. Now! Slowly we started to retreat, still fighting in formation, making our way towards the cover of the woods. Across the way, I saw Black Cross fighting with fury and rage, cutting down men with a single strike, pushing his own knights out the way. I knew he was trying to get to me. We made our way back toward the trees. Stephen's horsemen closed for the kill. We continued to resist in formation. Someone's blade slashed across my arm. All around... We were being encircled, a noose strangling our ranks. I saw Black Cross steadily approaching, watching me as he came. Suddenly, a roar rose from the woods. The trees themselves seemed to come alive with hide-class horsemen and club-wielding warriors springing forth out of the green. The knights between us and the woods spun around. All of a sudden, they faced a charging enemy from behind. Their horses, caught in the squeeze, tripped and reared, tossing riders off. We began to strike at them, using our swords like battering rams, crumpling armor until it gave, and then running the knights through. Now, Stephen's horsemen were pinched, fighting a renewed foe from all sides. You could see in their darting eyes the terror of this unanticipated shift of fortune. More knights began to be stripped from their mounts, their heavy weapons useless in the closeness of battle among the trees.
it was a massacre. A massacre. But not the one they had planned. Soon, barely half of Stephen's knights were standing. Many were off their horses, fighting two or three of us at a time in their cumbersome suits of armor. Shouts of exhortation were replaced by pleas of mercy. Some began to cease fighting and put up their hands. Weapons dropped to the ground. Relief rippled through me. I could not believe it. I was so tired I wanted to sink to my knees. Then, a fearsome voice pierced through me, sharp as any lance. You rejoice too soon, Jester. Before we call it a day, let us see how much power that little stick of yours really has. Chapter 142 His visor was up, a cold expression on his scarred face. I fastened on the hard-set eyes of Black Cross, the man I hated more than any other in this world. Twice, I spat at him. Twice what, innkeeper? Twice I have had to rid the world of the scum who killed my wife and child. I rushed towards him, hurtling my sword at his neck. The toffer put down his visor and stood his ground, pinning back my strongest thrust with ease. I hacked at him again and again. Each time he parried my blade. You have caused me shame, Black Cross said. Through his visor's narrow slit, I could see his pupils darting from side to side. With a ferocious howl, he leaped and swung his blade down on me with the power of a mangonel. I darted backwards, the wind from his blade only inches from my face. The toffer didn't even stop to regain his breath. He swung again, backhanded, aiming to slice through my legs. The mighty force of his blow almost drove my own blade into my thigh. Slowly, I forced his blade upward, but it took all of my strength. I felt like a boy straining against the power of a fully grown man. You are every bit the fool your reputation speaks, Black Cross chuffed. When I kill you, Stephen will take the lance and the lives of your men. Your severed head will be at the foot of your whore's bed. He sliced me again, each blow harder to fend off. I darted to the left, trying to catch my breath. Only my speed prevented me from being cut in half. But my quickness was waning. I couldn't beat Black Cross, I realized. He butted me, helmet into my forehead. I staggered back, the crash reverberating through my skull. The breath was heavy in my chest. A voice inside me pleaded, Please, God, show me the way. The toffer pressed closer and I stumbled, trying to scamper away. I crawled along the bank of the river, knowing my death was only seconds away. Stephen would end up with the Holy Lance after all. Black Cross stood in front of me. There was no escaping him now. He put up his visor and let me see his awful, scarred face. He sniffed. Your soul is already lost. I only do God's dirty work by delivering your corpse to him. For a moment I blinked, disoriented, the sun glinting off his armor. I felt in another place, Antioch, staring up at the Turk, sucking in the last precious breaths of my life. Once again, the craziest urge took hold of me. I began to laugh. I did not know at what. That I had come full circle, back to the moment of my death? That despite all my hope, life in the Dutch would remain as it was? That I would die in the patchwork clothing of a fool? He's still wearing it. Something crazy had come into my head, a line from a stupid joke. I don't know why it seemed funny to me, but I couldn't help myself. I was a fool, wasn't I? It sure is deep, I said. Then I started to laugh again, twisting up my legs and rolling on my side. You die witless, Jester. Tell me, what image is so funny that you'll carry it to your grave? Oldest joke in the book, I caught my breath. I did not know if it was cunning or total lunacy that I was in control. Two men pissing off a bridge, each trying to prove to the other who's bigger. One man pulls out his pecker. This water's cold, he said. Yeah, goes the other, and it sure is deep. Black Cross looked blank, not understanding. He stood on the bank of the river, ready to dispatch me to hell. It sure is deep, I said again, this time a renewed certainty in my voice. It was only a flash, but I was sure I saw in his face a subtle recognition that all was not what it seemed, that he had misjudged something. Before he could figure it out, I kicked my legs and struck him squarely in the midsection. The blow sent him stumbling to the very edge of the riverbank. Black Cross struggled to keep his balance. And he did. 
He smiled disdainfully, as if to say, You little man, that's all you have? Then his boots could not hold the ground. He teetered, his armor dragging him backwards, and still his look was not apparel but merely annoyance. Little man, little problems. But then he began to fall. A clang of metal, the armor dragging him, picking up speed like a boulder until he rolled, grasping at rocks and weeds all the way down to the embankment and tumbled into the river. He slid under the surface. I am certain that what flashed through his mind is that he will pick himself up and climb back and finish me off. Moments passed. I could not believe what was happening myself. The toffer did not rise. A gloved hand broke the surface and thrashed in the air, struggling for something to grasp onto. More time passed. Air bubbles rose to the surface. His glove flailed back and forth, but the toffer never rose again. Black Cross was done, drowned, dead. You better go in there and chop his head off. I'm just saying, you've already got experience with this. You better go up there and stab him in his neck or something. I forced myself to crawl over to the edge of the embankment. The fighting had wound down. Stephen's men were kneeling, groaning, hands in the air like they just didn't care. Some of our men were beginning to cheer, hoisting their swords above their heads. Then they were all cheering, jubilant faces reflecting the same incredible thing. We had won. Stephen was defeated. We had actually won. All around, people came rushing up to me. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. Finally, tears bit at my eyes, tears of joy and exhaustion. People shouted my name as if I were a hero. I reached behind me for the holy lance. With whatever strength was left in my body, I thrust it high into the air, toward heaven. Chapter 143 Emily did not hear cheering. Why? She knew a fierce battle was underway. She had heard the pounding gallop of horsemen leaving the city, the walls shaking with their strides. Oh God, she thought. That could only mean Stephen had attacked. Hugh's army was now fighting for its life. Emily could not bring herself to look out the window of her cell. How could God let this ruthless bastard win? Fight, Hugh. Fight. But she knew the odds were against him. She waited for the roar close by, announcing victory. It would tell her Stephen's killers had done their job. That Hugh was dead. But there was no roar. After the first rumble of horsemen, there was only the clash of metal, the gnashing din of battle, far-off cries. Then, in the distance, a trail of cheers. Why were the ranks on the wall so silent? She finally pulled herself up on the mat. No cheering. Could Hugh have won? Was it possible? Suddenly, the bolt jangled and the door was flung open. Stephen was there, his eyes fierce. Two soldiers followed him into the cell. She forced a smile. I hear no cheers coming from the walls, my lord. Why do I think the battle has not gone your way? For both of us, Stephen snorted and seized her arm. There is a noose in the courtyard that awaits your pretty neck. Tomorrow morning, you traitorous bitch. You have no right to pass such judgment, Emily tried to twist away. You sentenced me to death on what charge? Sedition, abetting the rebels, fucking a heretic. Stephen listened him with a shrug. Have you lost your mind? Is there no honor left in you? Have you bargained everything with the devil for a piece of metal? That lance? The lance, Stephen said, his eyes flashing, is worth more to me than you and your fool and all the pitiful, honorable souls left in France. Emily shouted, you will not beat him, Stephen, whether you hang me or not. He came for you as one man. Now an army stands behind him. You cannot stop him, not with all your titles and mercenaries, no matter how many men. Yes, yes, you're ready, little fool. Oh, now you really got my knees knocking, Stephen laughed. He will come for me. Stephen shook his head and sighed. Sometimes I think the two of you actually deserve each other. Of course the fool will come for you, my pathetic girl. That's precisely what I'm counting on. Chapter 144 The realization settled over the men that the battle was finally over. No more fighting. No more blood. They looked around, stunned and elated. Those who had lived sought out friends and embraced them. Georges and the Languedocians, Odo and Father Leo, Alphonse and Aloise, farmers and Freemasons, jubilant just to be alive. I led our men back to the castle walls, exhausted, out of fight, but as conquerors. 
The same defenders who had pushed aside our attacks now solemnly watched us, arms at rest. Stephen's captured knights were pushed to the front, stripped of their armor, and forced to kneel. A cry rose up. Not a cry of victory, but a single, steady voice that grew in power until all joined in. Submit. Submit, they chanted. Finally, from a parapet above the front gate, Stephen appeared, dressed in ceremonial purple cloaks. He surveyed our ranks contemptuously, as if he could not believe this ragtag rabble of beaten back his troops. What happens now? I asked Daniel. You must talk with him. Stephen has to comply or his knights will lose their heads. He is bound by honor. Go on, Odo pushed me forward. Tell the bastard he can keep his fucking grain. See if there's any ale in there. I grabbed the lance. Someone hitched up a mount for me. I'll come with you, Daniel said. I'll go too, the miller said. I looked at Stephen. I didn't trust this bastard, no matter how deeply he was bound by honor. I think not. I shook my head. I had someone else in mind. We brought up Baldwin. He had long been stripped of his fancy clothes and was dressed in a burlap tunic like any common man. His wrists were bound, his haggard face badly in need of a shave. It's your lucky day, I said, plopping a plumed hat upon his head. If all goes well, you'll soon be back in silk. You do not need to dress me up. He threw off the hat. You can be sure Stephen will recognize one of his own. Suit yourself, I nodded solemnly. We headed forward out the ranks. Baldwin's mount tethered to mine. Soldiers on the wall watched us silently approach. We stopped, out of arrow shot, forty yards from the wall. Stephen gazed down, barely acknowledging me, as if he had been called away from a meal. Black Cross is dead, I announced. The fate of your best knights, what's left of them, awaits your word. We have no more urge for blood. Submit. I commend you, Carrot Top, the Duke replied. You've proven to be as worthy a fighter as you are a fool. I've taken you too lightly. Come, ride forth where I can see your face. I'll present my terms. Your terms? It's our terms you're bound to hear. What do I detect, Jester? Do you not think me a man of honor? Ride forth and claim your prize. I think you bargain freely, Lord, with something you are short of. Do not be offended if I send out my man instead. A smile curled on Stephen's face. Your man, then, Jester, and I will send mine. Shall I go? Daniel offered. I shook my head and glanced towards Baldwin. No. Him. Baldwin's eyes bolted wide. A film of sweat broke out on his forehead. Here's your chance. I pulled his hood over his head. Show us how your fellow lord recognizes you. I untied his horse and gave it a hard slap to the rump, and it bolted forward. The duke, hands bound, tried to gather it under control. As he crossed over into no man's land, he began to shout, I am Baldwin, Duke of Triel. A few guards on the wall began to point and laugh. The duke's voice became more agitated. I am Baldwin, you fool. Disregard these clothes. Look at me, Stephen. Do you not see? All that could be seen was a lowly clad figure galloping towards the gates on his horse. Here, Jester, Stephen called from the wall. Here are my terms. A chilling whoosh was heard and an arrow struck Baldwin's chest. The duke killed back, then another, and a third arrow cut into him. Baldwin's body slumped in the saddle. The horse, sensing something was wrong, reversed his course and drifted back towards our ranks. Those are my terms, fool, Stephen called from the wall. Enjoy your victory. You have one day. Then he wrapped his purple cloak around his shoulders and left, without even waiting for a response. Daniel rode out to meet the returning horse. Baldwin's lifeless body crumpled to the ground. A parchment was rolled onto one of the arrows in his chest. <laughs> Airmail. <laughs> Daniel leapt off his horse and, without pulling out the arrow, unfastened the paper bound to a shaft. He read, then looked up. I saw the bitterness in his eyes. Lady Emily is decreed a traitor. We have the day to lay down our arms. Unless we submit and turn a lance over to Stephen, she will be hanged. Chapter 145 That night, I went out into the fields behind our camp, my chest exploding with rage. I needed to be alone. 
I headed past the sentries manning our perimeter. What did I care if I was in danger? I wanted to hurl the blasted lance against the castle walls. Keep it, Stephen. My life has been sorrow and misery since I found it. Behind me, the flames of a hundred fires sparkled in the night. My men dozing or making bets on what tomorrow might bring. Fight or surrender. I began to feel heartened. My shoulders free of strain. Maybe I will see Emily if I walk close to the gates. Just for a moment, as I pass by the gates. The thought lifted me that I might see a beautiful face one more time. I let out a breath, cradling the lance in my palms, staring at the massive walls. Suddenly, I felt a muscular arm around my neck. I gulped for air, the grip tightening. The tip of a blade was pressed into my back. See, told you you should have went and checked. Most accommodating, Jester, hissed a voice in my ear. You picked a daring place for a murder. If I shout out, you'll be meat for our dogs. And if you shout, you'll be out a very dear friend, Boar Slayer. I slowly turned and was face to face with the Moor who always guarded Anne. What are you doing here, Moor? Your mistress, Anne, is no friend of mine. You're not welcome either. I come with a message, he said. You must listen. J just listen. I have already seen your lady's message, but my wife died in her dungeon. A message not from my lady, the Moor said with a smile, but from yours, Emily. She bid you come with me tonight. I told her no sane man will come back with me through these walls. She said to tell you, that may be, but it will not always be. I still don't know what that means. I mean, I know what it means, but in the context of the way she uses it, it's like the dude in the Princess Bride who kept saying inconceivable. The sound of those words took my breath away. Take my breath away. That's one of the best 80s songs of all time. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Maybe it was because I saw it more from, t not Top Gun, like Top Gun, yeah, cool, whatever. But they also played it on a Michael Jordan video. <laughs> I think it was Come Fly With Me. There was a lot of Michael Jordan videos. There was nothing more than him dunking a lot and talking to the camera. And on one of them, that song was being played, and it was great. My favorite part is where it goes, da na 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 and then the voice goes up yeah that part's dope Take my breath away. And the crazy part is, y'all all know exactly which part I'm talking about. Even if I didn't know the words. I was only like nine when I heard the song let up on me. I could hear Emily's voice. See her as I set off that day in the jester suit to Triel. My spirits lifted at the thought of the brave twinkle in her eyes. Do not smile yet, warn the more. It'll be a long shot to save her. Choose two men, your best, two whom you'd be happy to die with. Then we must go. Inside. Now. Chapter 146 I chose Odo and Ox. Who else? Well, anybody other than Odo. I mean, he got stabbed up in the leg. He could barely move, fam. I don't put him through that. Get George's out there. I don't know. They were the two bravest, and they had gotten me this far. Around midnight, we left, snaking our way through the camp and into the woods without attracting attention. Then we followed the river to where it neared the city walls, away from the main gates. Through the darkness, I saw the outline of the great cathedral, lit by the flames of sentry fires. We could even hear Stephen's men talking while manning the walls. We kept close to the river, approaching a part of the city I did not know. We forded the river at a low point the moor knew. Creeping along the wall, we finally reached a spot that seemed to be the exterior of a large stone building many stories high. Narrow window slits were carved into the wall. I had no idea where I was. The moor climbed up to one of the narrow slits. He scratched the opening. A voice whispered back, Who is there, fool or king? In his broken accent, the Moor said, If fools wore crowns, we'd all be kings. Quick, let us in, or we'll all be hanging tomorrow. 
Suddenly, chunks of the wall began to shift. The slit grew larger, a block at a time, and I could see it was not a window, but a tunnel. What in the hell is this? I asked. Laporte de Fou, the Moor said, hurrying us through. The Fool's Gate. It was dug during the wars with Anjou as an escape route, but the Angevines found out, and they were waiting there. They slaughtered all who came out. Anyone who went through was said to be a fool. Thought you'd appreciate the touch. Very uh, reassuring, Odo swallowed uneasily. My apologies, the Moor said. I would have suggested the main gate, but all those men in green and gold surcoats with big swords were standing around guarding it. He pushed Odo forward. We crept through the narrow opening. A dim light appeared up ahead. Come, quick. I heard a voice on the other end. I did not know where I was or whom I was heading towards. I prayed this was not an ambush. The tunnel was not long, only the length of a building. We came out into a torch-lit room, arms assisting us as we jumped. Those arms belonged to a man in a deep blue robe with a white beard. I immediately recognized him. August, the physician who had healed me after I was attacked by the boar. This was his hospital. People in the throes of disease reclined on mats or leaned half-naked against stone walls. August led us down a hall into a large adjoining chamber, a study. The walls were lined with heavy manuscripts, scrolls all about. I had barely enough time to thank August for his help before the physician scurried off, shutting us in. My heart beat nervously. What is next? I turned to the moor. What's next, said a voice from the shadows, is to pray that holy lance of yours has a fraction of the power it's said to, if you intend to save the life of the woman you love. I spun to see a shape in the hood emerge from a corner. I did not know whether to raise my knife or bow. I was staring at Lady Anne. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave a review on Spotify. Takes like 13 seconds. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review on the Good Pods app. Leave a review on Podchaser. You could donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or on buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. Or you can leave a tip in the tip jar on the Good Pods app. Everything on Patreon only costs a dollar. You get a lot of content for it too. Uh, except for my recipes. Those cost 15 bucks. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast.